Welcome to my podcast. My name is Amelia Sirio, and today I'm going to talk about Paget's disease of bone. Paget's disease of bone was named after Sir James Paget around 1893. He was an English surgeon and pathologist. Sir James Paget had a patient come in who was 46 years old and a coachman. He complained of pain in the lower limbs, including his left shin bone and left thigh bone. They were enlarged and misshapen in a boomerang-like pattern. The patient had a lot of pain and was unable to walk properly. Eventually, he died of complications. Once he died, Sir James Paget did a biopsy under a microscope. He saw dramatic changes in the bone remodeling process, and the inside of the bone looked like nothing he'd ever seen before. Sir James Paget decided to write a paper about this. He called the paper on a form of chronic inflammation of the bones, and he decided the name of the disease would be called osteitis deformans, meaning bone deformity. This was published in 1877, and a lot of other surgeons reached out and said that they've seen patients with similar conditions. We know now today that Paget's disease of bone has been around long before it was named. Characteristics of Paget's disease of bone has been seen in lots of remains that date back far in time. Also, it was interesting to learn that in 1513, there was a painting done by a woman by the name of Quinter Matisse. This painting was called The Ugly Duchess, or A Grotesque Old Woman, and it featured a painting of a woman who had this enlarged head that is characterizable with Paget's disease of bone. When Leonardo da Vinci saw this painting, he was intrigued, and he decided to also make a series of sketches called Grotesque Heads. Before we talk about the bone remodeling process and how it differs in Paget's disease of bone, we're first going to talk about the anatomy of bones. The main types of bones with a few examples are long bones, such as the femur and the humerus, short bones, such as the wrist and ankle bone, flat bones, such as the ribs and skull, and irregular bones, such as the vertebrae and os coxa. First, let's talk about the structure of long bones. Long bones are divided into three main sections. A diaphysis, or the ends of these bones, there's one on each side, and then there's a metaphysis on the inside of the diaphysis, so one on each side, again, and then there's the epiphysis, or the shaft, that's where you would hold the bone. So the epiphyses, or the ends of bones, have spongy bone on the inside and then compact bone on the outside, and then they have this articular cartilage that covers the end, so that it can articulate with other bones. And then after the epiphysis, again, we have the metaphysis, which is the same idea of compact bone on the outside and spongy bone on the inside. In the epiphyses and metaphysis, there's going to be a lot of bone growth because it is a site of vast bone remodeling, and it contains the epithelial plate, which, as you grow old, turns into an epithelial line. These trabeculae are covered in endosteum, which are delicate connective tissue membrane. Next, we have the diaphysis, which is the shaft, and it has the compact bone on the outside and the spongy bone on the inside. In addition, there's a medullary cavity inside of the diaphysis, which contains bone marrow, which is responsible for making blood cells, stem cells, and cells of the immune system. In addition, it has yellow bone marrow, which stores adipose fat. This medullary cavity is also covered in endosteum. The diaphysis also has a periosteum, which is a double 
layered membrane of blood vessels and nerves that surrounds the bone on the outside. It has a fibrous layer, which is the outer layer, and it consists of dense, irregular connective tissue. This fibrous layer is going to protect the bones and provide attachments for tendons and ligaments. And then on the inside layer of the periosteum, we have the osteogenic layer, which is going to consist of osteoblasts and osteoclasts that I'll discuss in a minute. Overall, the periosteum is very important to allow blood supply to get to the bones and nutrients to be passed in and out. The matrix of bone tissue is one-third organic and around two-thirds inorganic. The organic layer is called the osteoid, and it makes up one-third of the matrix. It's mostly collagen fibers and ground substance, but it's unmineralized. This organic layer is going to form first, and then the inorganic layer is going to harden it. The inorganic layer consists of hydroxyapatites, or crystallized minerals and phosphate salts, and it gives the bone exceptional hardness. Now let's talk about some different bone cells. First we have osteogenic cells, which are stem cells found in the periosteum and endosteum. They multiply continuously and develop into other bone cells. The differentiation of these osteogenic cells are important because osteoblasts are unable to undergo mitosis. Osteoblasts build up bones, meaning they synthesize and deposit bone material, or osteoid, that organic material, which is uncalcified and has lots of collagen. When osteoblasts get stuck in the bone matrix, they turn into osteocytes. Osteocytes stay in place and ensure the health of the bone tissue. Because osteocytes are trapped in their lacunae, or little holes, they use their long cytoplasmic processes to extend through canaliculi, or channels, to communicate with other osteocytes. The osteocyte's main job is to pass nutrients and remove waste. Next, we have the osteoclast, which main job is to dissolve bone. Unlike other bone cells like osteoblasts, osteoclasts have many stem cells that fuse together to form one big osteoclast. Osteoclasts usually have 5 to 20 nuclei. They secrete acid, collagenase, and proteases that dissolve the mineral of bone and destroy the organic matrix. Osteoclasts therefore mobilize the calcium, which can be moved to blood vessels and then absorbed into the bloodstream. Now that we have a good understanding of bone cells and bone anatomy, we can talk about bone remodeling. Bone remodeling is the process of breaking down bone and building it back up again. Bone remodeling happens after physical stress or fractures. Bone remodeling can also occur with changing blood calcium levels that prompt the trapped osteocytes to initiate the bone remodeling or breaking down the bone and building it up again. The first step of bone remodeling is that the osteoblasts release a cytokine, which is a small protein that acts as a signal to other molecules this cytokine, in specific, transforms immature osteoclasts into mature osteoclasts, which are larger and have more surface area that can come in contact with the bone. The second step is that these mature osteoclasts secrete acid and proteases that dissolve the mineral of bone and destroy the organic matrix. The third step is that osteoclasts release chemicals that stimulate immature osteoblasts to mature. Then. They release osteoprotegrin. This protein deactivates osteoclasts so that they cannot absorb more bone. The fourth step is that mature osteoblasts deposit osteoid, or that organic collagen fiber. 
The osteoblasts also deposit a little bit of inorganic calcium and phosphorus, which mineralize the osteoid and make it hard. The last step is the transformation into the strong hydroxyapatite crystal, which is that end product of hard and strong bone. Now that we understand the bone remodeling process in normal bones, we can talk about how Paget's disease differs. The first phase of Paget's disease is called the lytic phase. This is where osteoclasts demineralize the bone, but 20 times more than normal. The second phase is called the mixed phase. It is lytic and blastic. The blastic phase has osteoblasts rapidly and haphazardly putting down new bone. This makes the bone have a woven appearance that is not normal and not structurally stable. The last phase is called the sclerotic phase. It is where new bone formation exceeds resorption. Because there is more bone formation than bone reabsorption, this makes the bone larger as seen in Paget's disease patients. Dormant phase follows this and it's characterized by the osteoblast starting to slow down. Although the osteoblast started to slow down, you still have these very large and misshapen bones. These large and misshapen bones can impinge on nerves and cause pain. Additionally, in the skull, this overgrowth can create this lion-like face. Hearing loss can follow because the malleus, stapes, and incus, or the small little bones in the ear, have changed their shape. Patients with Paget's complain of tinnitus, which is ringing of the ears as well. Some patients even had some vision loss due to their optic nerve being pinched. Many patients also experience extreme kyphosis, which is outward extension of the spine. In most cases, the pelvis becomes so weak that it cannot hold the weight of the body, and therefore the femur starts to bow. When parts of the bone involved in the joint become affected, this can lead to osteoarthritis. Paget's disease of bone can be monostotic, meaning in a singular bone, or polyostotic, meaning in multiple bones. Most common, though, it's found in the skull, the lumbar vertebrae, and the pelvis, and the femur. So why is Paget's disease of bone most common in the skull, lumbar vertebrae, pelvis, and femur? The first reason is that these areas are rich vascular areas, meaning that they have a lot of blood supply. Paget's is related to increased vascularity because there's more blood to deliver oxygen, nutrients, and hormones that are needed for bone remodeling. The second reason could be that the pelvis, vertebrae, and femur have high stress on them, meaning that they already have more bone remodeling. It's hard to determine how prominent Paget's disease is because for the most part, in the first couple years, Paget's disease is asymptomatic, meaning that a person may not even notice. Paget's disease is the second most common bone remodeling disease after osteoporosis, though. The difference between Paget's and osteoporosis is that osteoporosis just has hyperactive osteoclasts meaning they have a lot of breaking down of bone, they don't have the element of a lot of building up of bone. Although again, it is hard to make a statistic about how many people are affected by Paget's disease of bone, Washington University School of Medicine predicted that three to 4% of the US population over the age of 50 are affected by Paget's. They also predicted that it affects 10 to 20% of people in the US over 60, meaning around 3 million people in the US. In my next episode, I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of these genetic causes behind the disease.